You're listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. What's going on, everybody? Uh, this is another episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Heller. Um, so obviously, in the wake of everything that's happening, baseball has been uh, suspended, and we don't really know when it's going to pick up again. So Phillies talk is going to be a little uh, different for the next month or two. Um, so me and Ty figured that while we um, wait for everything to kind of settle down and, you know, eventually, hopefully... By May, baseball will be back up and running. But until then, we're going to go back through all of the rebuild rebuild years. So uh, starting with 2012, and we're just going to talk about our favorite moments from those years. Um, and yeah, so today we're starting with 2012. Uh, pretty excited for this. And as I said, I'm joined by my co-host, Ty. Ty, we have a special guest today. Would you like to introduce him? Yeah, I can, I can do that. Uh, like Johnny said... We are going to talk about some of the most interesting, funniest, weirdest rebuild moments in this little series, uh, starting with 2012. And for this 2012 episode, we are joined by Phillies Nation editorial director Tim Kelly. You may know him from the intro of this podcast. So, Tim, uh, welcome on to the pod. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I am really uh, floored that you guys waited to invite me on until we did something about the 2012 Phillies. That shows how you think of me. <laughs> the, that's a very special team. So I, I think that this is the best time to have you on. A very interesting team. <laughs> Stuck in between two worlds. They thought they were good and they were actually not very good. So I think this is one of the, one of the best teams we could have you come on to talk about. No, I'm, I'm excited for it, no doubt. So what we're going to do, I think we're going to call this Rebuild Rankings. Uh, we're not exactly going to rank the moments, however. We're, me, Johnny and I have just kind of put together a rough top five list, uh, e- each of us have, and we're going to throw out some moments and just talk about the absurdity or... Uh, you know, whatever else happened with, with these things, and we're happy to have Tim on to talk about them as well. So, Johnny, I'm going to go first because my my uh, moment that I have here on my list is from opening day 2012. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go first. Go ahead. All right, so opening day 2012, one of the, one of the top moments everybody thought that the season was uh, started right. Maybe they'd go for another NL East championship when against the Pittsburgh Pirates, Roy Halladay went eight innings scoreless and handed the ball right off to Jonathan Papelbon in his first Phillies outing for a one nothing victory in Pittsburgh. I, I just thought that was an important moment to note. Jonathan Papelbon, obviously the Philly's all-time leader in saves, and he gets his first one in opening day 2012. That was another great Roy Halladay start. I I think everybody thought that he would be poised for another outstanding season. It didn't really turn out that way. But, you know, the way things started for the Phillies, it, it looked like everything was back to normal like it was from 07 to 2011. Yeah, um... Yeah, it is. It is crazy to think back to you know how that what that team was expected to do. Um, you know, 
even before the season started and obviously after the first game, um, probably expected a lot of, you know, starting pitcher handing off the ball to Papelbon and some, you know, one nothing, two one, three one victories. Throughout the season, obviously it didn't work out that way and Halliday didn't have a great season, but yeah. Tim, you have any any insight or memories from that game specifically? I just feel inclined every time Jonathan Papelbon is mentioned to talk about how great of a Philly Jonathan Papelbon was. <laughs> and like I'm not doing this to piss people off. I understand entirely why people didn't like him as a person. But Jonathan Papelbon, you got the ball to him in the ninth inning. It was pretty much a wrap three out of the four seasons he was here. He made two all-star teams. He's the all-time leader in saves. I mean, Jonathan Papelbon, there's a, a group of people that have convinced himself that signing was a disaster. And maybe it wasn't the best use of resources given where the Phillies were as a team. But he certainly did his job, at least in terms of pitching. He overall, I, I think he had an overall better Phillies career than Brad Lidge. I know yeah, 2008. It's not even close. Like 2008 <laughs> was obviously the the best season a Phillies reliever has had probably, especially because of, you know, he closed out the World Series. But as a whole, the whole body of work, Papelbon was, he was really, really good. And Brad Lidge had some not so great uh, stretches of his Phillies career. Yeah, I mean, Papelbon was the best Phillies reliever since Billy Wagner, you know? Yeah, and I think there are people on the Phillies Wall of Fame that Jonathan Papelbon is a better Philly than. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and I would not be shocked if they don't put him on the Wall of Fame, mostly because he was outwardly kind of miserable at times in (laughs) Philadelphia. And when they weren't doing well, he said, I didn't come here for this. And I think people got upset with that, but I don't know if you can really blame him for it when you sign with a team that is one. Uh, five straight, you know, division titles, and right as you get there, they kind of implode, and you're still keeping up your production. I guess that would be pretty frustrating. It's weird to think about, but I don't even really recall, and they were for two seasons, but I don't think of Jonathan Pavabon and Roy Halladay as having been on the same teams. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's fair. They feel like two completely different eras of, of Phillies baseball. But so, yeah, Johnny, why don't you get into your moment? We'll get away from Papelbon for a little bit. And uh, why don't you tell us what you have to say with your first moment here? Sure. So um, this is another early season one. And I think when you look at what happened in this game, uh, it, it was a pretty good kind of example of how the season went for this particular player. So uh, it was second week of the season. It was a game against the Giants um, in San Francisco. Cliff Lee threw 10 shutout innings. And received a no decision, and the Phillies lost the game, uh, one to nothing. And you know, looking back at that season, Cliff Lee didn't win a game until July, uh, and it wasn't because he was pitching poorly. It's because the offense could not score at all, um, and it was just bad luck, like for the first you know half of the season. And um, I think not only for Lee, but for the Phillies as a whole, they couldn't really hit that year in that was part of the reason they didn't win very many games. Um, and I mean, also just in general, of you know, Cliff Lee throwing 10 innings in a single game. I don't think it's happened since uh, for anyone. Um, and for him to not even be able to win that game is a pretty wild moment. I don't know if this is a hot take, but I don't think it'll ever happen again either. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. It'd be pretty unlikely it would take 
uh, you know, a special type of pitcher and a special type of outing because nobody goes long anymore, uh, for better or for worse. So I wouldn't be shocked if nobody else will do that again. Like Aaron Nola had one of the best seasons of Phillies pitchers ever had two years ago and didn't even pitch into the ninth inning once. So, I mean, there are different types of pitchers, but increasingly that's rare. And like Johnny said, I remembered without looking at it, this Cliff Lee season as being disappointed. He had a five war that season. Like this is yeah, about it was, as uh, it wasn't his best season as a Philly, and certainly not his best career season. But he had a three sixteen ERA and a five war, and pitched over two hundred innings. Like it was an excellent season, and he just kind of got screwed. Yeah, for sure. I remember. I remember a lot that season. My me and my grandpa would would talk about. Cliff Lee and my, he would just be so frustrated at at the offense not being able to to get him a win. I feel like around then is when wins like still had some some more relevance. Like it was kind of the end of the win loss era for pitchers. I would say, um, you know, when Felix Hernandez won his Cy Young, it kind of signaled the close to the end. But still, in 2012, people cared a little bit more about wins and losses than they do now. So I remember a lot of people being frustrated that Cliff Lee couldn't get a win in, in his pitcher win-loss column. Yeah, I mean, it was, like, like Tim said, I agree. I don't think it'll ever happen again. Um, I know the only time that I remember, I mean, I think it happened a, a few times in the 2000s. I know Roy Halladay did pitch to Maddox 10-inning game, so his pitch count was like 97 in a 10-inning shutout, which is, that's just another um absurd thing that obviously it's Roy Halladay but it hasn't happened since and like Tim said it'll it'll never happen again but yeah uh Ty what's your your next moment my next moment uh I got a couple here let's see what I'll go with next I'm gonna go with the one that we talked a little bit about our list and I'm shocked that you forgot this one this was a really good one and it kind of sparked some discussion all around baseball I'm gonna go with when Cole Hamels pegged Bryce Harper uh. in the middle of the back. <laughs> and when Bryce Harper got to third base, Hamels picked off to first, and Bryce Harper stole home. Lance Nix couldn't get the ball back to the catcher in time. And then after the game, they were like, so, Cole Hamels, did you hit Bryce Harper on purpose? And he just admitted it. <laughs> he said he did, and then he got suspended for five games. And basically, it was... It led to this discussion about, um, you know, does Bryce Harper deserve to get hit because he is 19 years old and good? And a lot of old school baseball type of people, I feel like they believed he deserved to get hit by a fastball because he was 19 and good. It didn't make a whole lot of sense uh, to me, at least. But that was a very interesting time in baseball, and I think it's funny how uh, at that time he was Bryce Harper was kind of the enemy of Phillies fans and and people were probably on Hamill's side and you know advanced a few years and he is now on the Phillies and he's their biggest star so you know you never know how things are going to go but that was a really interesting moment I think it's funny how he got hit I think it was a nationally televised game on ESPN too and you know he gets hit and then to get back at Hamill's he just steals home yeah, it was Sunday night baseball, and at that time, it was rare for the Nationals to be on Sunday night baseball. They were, they were on there because of the Phillies, but you're right. It, it was just kind of, and it was one of these things where before everyone was on the internet, I think a lot of people 
just bought into, oh, yeah, Bryce Harper had it coming. And then you sit back and you think about it, and it's like, why? Because he has, like, hair that you're jealous of or because he's 19 and then the league. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And as much as everyone in Philadelphia, I think, enjoyed that game last year against the Cubs where Charlie Manuel was back as the hitting coach and Cole Hamels was back pitching, I don't think anybody enjoyed it more than Bryce Harper going left center field in that at-bat against Cole Hamels because he probably just has to look back at it like nine or ten years later and still shake his head. Like I would imagine there's lots of things that happen when you're 19 and then when you're in your mid to late 20s, you look back and say, yeah, I have different thoughts on that. I probably had it coming. He still probably looks back at that and is like, what the hell? Yeah, I mean... It's also, too, it was just so bizarre because it was one thing. I mean, I think everyone kind of knew Hamels hit him on purpose. Um, but for, for Hamels just to come out after the game and say, oh, yeah, I did it on purpose. It was just like, are you, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, like, got... Are you actually saying it? Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, was... Like, I could have pictured Cliff Lee just being like, yeah, I did it. Because Cliff Lee really, Cliff Lee was unapologetically Cliff Lee. That wasn't really Cole Hamels' personality. I. It's just so... It's so weird. I feel like something like that with people being more uh, aware of, you know, that hitting people on purpose is is bad. I feel like we're moving away from the beanball type of mentality. Like, it's so weird for that to happen, him to just get hit for no reason and then for the pitcher to admit it. It was it's so funny looking back, just like Johnny said. Yeah, you yes. may want to wait until the Astros season plays out before saying we're moving away from the beanball mentality. That's that's true. That's a that's a pretty good point. I didn't I didn't think of that. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna dive into my next one here. Um, it's not really a single moment. It's it's more a collection of moments, and um, it's really just like the the Jim Tomey stretch in June. Um, you know, they the Phillies signed him, and at that point, he was, how old was he? Like, in his late 30s, and he couldn't really play. He was in his, was he in his 40s? I think he was. Maybe. He maybe was old. Matter what or, was I think old. he was 40 or 41. Yes. So, he couldn't really play a defensive position, uh, kind of similar to a current Phillies first baseman. But anyways, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he didn't really hit at all the first, his first 15 or so games. And then the Phillies went on a nine-game road trip to a bunch of American League parks, and he just, you know, he hit a bunch of homers, had an unreal run. I think he had his OPS during that, the nine-game stretch was over 1,000. Um, and then they came back to Philly, and in one of the first games back, he had a walk-off home run against the Rays. Uh, so it was, like, a really cool stretch, because obviously Tommy was with the Phillies in the early 2000s, um, and for him to come back and, and have that stretch was pretty nostalgic, I think, for a lot of fans. And then eventually they they traded him because he could, like I, like I said, he couldn't really play a defensive position. So once they were done uh, playing against American League teams away, uh, he was kind of useless. Um, but it was still a really, really cool stretch. Yeah, I, I remember that walk-off home run pretty fondly. Uh, that was definitely a cool thing to see. Yeah, they didn't really know what they were going to get out of him exactly when they signed him I guess because he hadn't played the field in so long and they knew he probably wouldn't be good at it but I guess they were just hoping they could get some pinch hit at bats uh you know get some homers off the bench and 
for a day against the Rays. He showed that he could do it, hit a walk-off home run, which was cool to see. Uh, I think that was the first game of a day-night doubleheader. I feel like I remember that for some reason. Maybe um, I'm wrong, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that's true. It was not. It wasn't. They had a, they had a doubleheader. It was a day, day game. Yeah, it was a day game. I remember it because it was on my birthday. I remember being super excited. But the, yeah, they had a doubleheader the next day. The next day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It is so strange looking back at it. I know Jim told me he couldn't play the field anymore, but Ryan Howard only played 71 games that year because the year before he had blown out his Achilles in the NLDS. So he was a non-factor until I believe after the All-Star break and probably had the worst season of his career when he came back. It's so weird that the Phillies didn't just say at one point, you know what, he can't play the field too bad. We're putting him out there anyway because... Ty Wigginton was the other option. Like, <laughs> it, it wasn't like you had this fallback option that was great. You had Ty Wigginton, who had a respectable MLB career. But you put Jim Tomey out there for half the season, he's still probably at that stage going to hit 15 to 20 home runs. And it, it can't be any worse than what you got. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree there. Uh, in, in hindsight, you know, however many years later, I think I would have put Tommy out there some more. They traded him to the Orioles then. Orioles, right? yeah. They traded right, pretty much right after, in the beginning of July, I think. Like, right after the, the, the stretch he had because, you know, he was... Well, they weren't winning games, and, you know, I think they wanted to, you know, send him somewhere where he would be able to play more. So Yeah, for sure. They... Uh, that was that the first wild card game and the Orioles were in it. Twenty twelve. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, they won the. Yeah, they beat the Rangers in the first ever wild card game. And yeah. I I can't remember if Tommy played or not. Was that the Delman Young game? I believe so. Yeah. No, maybe not. Delman Young. Oh, no, was, that was that was against the, the Tigers. The, yeah, yeah, but it, it is so weird. There's like this collection of superstar like slugger type players that had this like random stint at the end of their career with the Orioles like Vlad Guerrero did it Jim Tomey did it like Hall of Fame caliber people that you you forget just had this stint with the Orioles for no apparent reason at the end of their career the Orioles were like in the early 2010s they were good at like they were definitely a really good team and they had they had a lot of talent and they made they had some interesting seasons mixed in there. People forget. Well, it that's because the they're blueprint so bad. that's built this team. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that is true. that is true. Um, uh, am I up now? You are up. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Juan Pierre's walk off infield single against the Cardinals. I'm only saying this as an excuse to talk about Juan Pierre's stint with the Phillies and the fact that he wore a hat underneath his helmet. So. <laughs> So Juan Pierre, uh, uh, in a game against the Cardinals, runner on third with two outs, I believe. He hits a ground ball to shortstop, and Rafael Fercal kind of just stumbles a bit, like takes an extra step, and Juan Pierre beat it out for an infield walk-off single. And uh, that was another day game. I feel, I feel like they walked off a bunch of day games that year. That could be wrong, but in, in my mind, from what I can remember, that did happen. Um, but that was just an interesting, weird way to walk off a game. 
But like I said, Juan Pierre, he wore a hat underneath his helmet, <laughs> a very old school look, and I he's probably the last player in the major leagues to do it. And I think yeah, it's when I was a kid, I remember when he had been on the Marlins. I'm like, wow, that looks cool. Let me try to do it. And then I did it, and I'm like, what? The, what is the point of doing this? It's it's, it, it's I'm so telling you, strange. it's tougher. Uh, I tried it too. Me, and my my friends and I, you know, we we tried it in. I guess that was my last year or second to last year of Little League the, in 2012. I guess that's showing off how young I am. But uh, we would try to put hats underneath our helmet. It doesn't work with the two ear-flapped helmets. Like, it's definitely a, a single ear-flap thing. It's too hard to get on if you have the, the double ear-flap. It's just the hat gets in the way. It's a real big upset that Juan Pierre didn't wear a two-flapped helmet. Yeah, well, I bet I bet if he had the choice, he would have worn a no-flapped helmet. <laughs> yeah, he would have worn like the the Pete Rose style, just like the Tim, the hat, the helmet that catchers used to wear under the mask. Tim Raines wore a helmet without a an ear flap until like two thousand one or something. Really, John Olrude wore one to play first base. That's a look that people should bring back too. Like Dick Allen wore one, John Olrude wore one. That's a, that's a look, and I think people should bring it back. Now, Dick Allen, I'm pretty sure he wore it because fans threw things at him, which is horrible. But it's definitely still a Old I think, had like a head injury that he had to do yeah, that. Yeah, he had, he it's had not brain like, aneurysms. Yeah, it's not like it's easy to feel while you have that. But I'm just like looking over Juan Pierre's career numbers. He finished, think about this, JT Real Muto had this amazing season last year finished like 14th in NL MVP voting. Juan Pierre in 2003, I get it, he's not a power hitter, he stole 65 bases that year. Juan Pierre hit one home run in 2003 at the height of the steroid era and finished 10th in NL MVP voting. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Before we abandon the subject of helmets, I feel like I, I have to say that Reese Hoskins needs to bring back the double C-flap. Uh, it was a great look, and ever since he got rid of it, his career has kind of trended downward. Yeah, so. he was at the height, of, uh, maybe not the height of his career. The beginning of 2017 was pretty amazing. But he was on a stretch when he wore that double double ear flap, double C flap, big helmet. That was a look. Yeah, it was great. All right, Johnny. He has you... to be in the home run derby this year, and he has to bring back the helmet. Those are the two like keys to him having success. And he has to bat lead off. Uh, Johnny, yeah. <laughs> Johnny, why don't you hit us with your next moment? Sure. So I don't know if I'm, I might be stealing this. I'm not stealing it from Ty. I know me and Ty both had it. Um, so the the Phillies, like, you know, Ty was just talking about one of the walk-offs that happened. Um, and he mentioned that there were several that year. So uh, the Phillies actually had a stretch of four games where they had three walk-offs. Uh, and two of them came in a series against the Milwaukee Brewers, and they had two come-from-behind walk-off uh, wins against K-Rod, which was pretty pretty cool. So the first one, they were down three runs in the bottom of the ninth, um, and it was just you know a good old rally. Rollins and Pierre got on. Um, Chase Utley walked. Ryan Howard singled them in. Carlos Ruiz singled a couple guys in, and then. Ty Wigington walk off sack fly, and then in the other game, they were they were down a run in the bottom of the tenth, and it was a Carlos Ruiz. I think it was a sack fly, and then Jimmy Rollins walk off single. So, 
Um, one of the one of the better closers of of that era, but they were able to get it done against him twice in a, in a single series. Yeah, the the thing about that first one was uh, what I remember most was, uh, so they started the comeback, they put up four in the bottom of the ninth, and uh, so they had just put up three, Carlos Ruiz knocked in a run, and eventually Ryan Howard got to third base on a walk from Hunter Pence, and with one out, they were in a position with Wigington at the plate to get that sack fly, and Ryan Howard was standing, he was standing on third, and Charlie Manuel sent out Eric Kratz to pinch run, and I remember Ryan Howard was, like, mad. He was like, yeah, I made it to third. Like, you're really going to pinch run for me now? Like, what's the point? He was, he, like, he threw up his arms. He was, he was a little bit mad about it, and then Eric Kratz scored the, the, winning, the winning run in what was, like, the first Phillies Eric Kratz moment, and then he had... He kind of had several throughout his Phillies career. He had some, he had some highlights. But Ryan Howard being mad that he was being pinch run for by a backup catcher was something that stuck out to me yeah. about that one. Was was Eric Kratz really the best option to pinch run? Was they burned was, up? Uh, they burned up everybody. I think because Ty Wiggington wasn't available. He 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 knocked him in. He was I'm up looking to at the box score right now. Jim Thomas was off the team by then, right? Yeah. Yeah, was Gallus not on the team at this point? Because I don't know, he wasn't in the box. I don't know. Who knows? I, you know, I, I think guess. that's when he might have been suspended. Yeah, when he okay. broke his back or something and got suspended too. Yeah, tough times. Yeah, what I remember about that 2012 series is Jimmy Rollins started the hashtag "Let's go streaking" after one of those games. And everyone bought in. It was like, oh, the Phillies are about to go on a magical World Series run. And then they finished 17 games out in that least. <laughs> <laughs> they felt like they were right within striking distance almost the whole season. Not the whole season, near the end. Like in August yeah, and at points they had, in September. They had a nice little run at the end, definitely. It, it, there was times where it was like, all right, you know, they're the Phillies. Like, even though. And I remember people, uh, well, through this conversation, I'm going to dive into my next moment. Of course, uh, you know, we're counting this as part of the rebuild because in 2012, they traded away Hunter Pence and Shane Victorino, kind of the first times that they traded away some of their core pieces. And then after that, the Phillies got kind of hot. And I remember people at the time were like, why would they ever trade Pence and Victorino? Should have kept them around. They would have won the World Series. And people blame that for the reason they didn't make the playoffs. But in reality, I think they just weren't very good. They were just kind of washed up uh, a little bit. But they they did get close at times. They were within striking distance, and they just couldn't they couldn't do it. But but yeah. Well, um, how 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 did the how far out were they in the wild card? Because you know they went on that seven game win streak in in September, and they were still like sixteen or seventeen games out of of the first place in the NL East. But I don't remember specifically like how close they were in. Uh, in the wild card. Uh, they ended up like seven games back that year. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a, I'll look that up real quick if you guys want to keep talking. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, while on the subject of them trading Hunter Pence, uh, another great moment. You know, they had a lot of walk-offs this year. They had how many? They had 11 uh, by nine different players. So one came earlier in the season against former Philly Brett Myers. Um 
while he was on the Astros, Hunter Pence, former Astro Hunter Pence, uh, hit a walk-off homer against him, which was a pretty good moment. Um, but like walk-off, like they, like I said, they had nine different players walk off that year. So Nate Shearholtz had a walk off. John Mabier Jr. had a couple walk offs. We've talked about Pierre. Um, we've talked about Rollins. We've talked about Wigginton. We talked about Tommy. Polanco had a walk off. Howard had a walk off. So it was a a pretty pretty crazy year in that sense. Um, you know, with an eighth of their home games basically ending in, in walk off win. They they were seven games out, eighty one and eighty one. Okay. And that and that spot obviously went to the Cardinals, the second wild card spot, who played the Braves, and that was the infamous infield fly Ooh. roll game. Which what a fun, the a fun umpires game. got that right. They got that call right. Uh, the shortstop was camped under it, and then he ran away. But that doesn't matter. He got to it with uh, you know ordinary effort. That was the right call. Infield fly. He was camped under in left field. It doesn't matter. That's it's how the rules worded. If you can get to it with fair, uh, with you know usual routine effort, and he's camped under it, that's how they interpret it in the rule book. That that's the right call. It's incredible. There was that series, and it wasn't Matt Holiday that made the error to ruin the series. Yeah, that's or the game. That's a good point. That's <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> what a twenty twelve was a was a weird year. I feel like people. Did pe- people didn't like the wild card game idea at first, right? And then I think right away they're like, "All right, this is this is weird and kind of cool. We like it." Wild card game is the best thing that baseball's done in the last decade. I think. I I agree. It's awesome. I don't like having two wild cards, but I like the game itself. Wh- what? What do you mean? <laughs> I like the actual game. I don't like that the, in the regular season of the last two years, the Phillies have been so obviously out, but we have to keep doing this charade where it's like, <laughs> oh, well, the, the Phillies, they're only three games back in the second wild card where you only have to – it's silly. Well, do you remember that – what year was it that the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Pirates all won like 95 games? And, you know, if it were two years prior, they – one of them would have missed the playoffs. I, I just like that it... Yeah, but last year the Indians won 93 games and missed the playoffs, so there are going to be those weird years almost no matter what. That's that's fair. I still like it. I think getting another team in the action doesn't really, doesn't really hurt anyone. It, this is all entertainment in the long run, and it makes for a really good game. So that... I'm, I'm pro wildcard. Pro second yeah, wildcard. Wi- we've had some... Some pretty fun wild card games, like the 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 Cueto in in Pittsburgh. Oh, when he dropped the ball, that yeah. was that was amazing. Yeah, and then got taken yard immediately. Yep, that was that was an all timer. Um, who's up? It's me, right? Next. Yeah, moment. you got it. All right, what am I gonna go with here? Um, I think this is the last one I have written down. I'm gonna go with when Matt Cain took Cole Hamill's yard. And then Cole Hamels took Matt Cain yard both in the same game. Uh, they same inning, same <laughs> yeah. You're right, same yeah. inning. That was that was amazing. I remember I was I was coming home from the beach that day, and we were listening to it on the radio. And uh, I guess seeing it would have been one thing, but the fact that I was just hearing it, it was almost like I don't even believe this. Like this is just ridiculous that they that they took each other deep. Uh, Hamels was always a pretty good hitter, and it felt like it was. 
just a matter of time until he got his first home run, but that was a pretty cool way to to uh, get your first one, I guess. Yeah, and also, I mean, I think, you know, I remember how competitive, like, all of those guys were in the rotation uh, with their hitting, so it was always fun to watch all of them hit. Um, you know, I think Lee was probably the best of the bunch, right? Yeah, Lee, Lee could hit. They were they were all pretty. They all all had their moments. You know, Blanton had the homer in 08. Uh, even Roy Halladay had a, a RBI single in his playoff no hitter. Um, they all they all had some moments at the plate. Yeah, for sure. The I, cli- go ahead, Tim. The Cliff Lee home run against Jair Jurgens. I'm trying to remember if that was 2012 or 2011, but it it was like an amazing moment. And like you said, they all kind of talked about how much they like to push each other. Cliff Lee, and I think Cole Hamels to a degree, it came relatively naturally to. Roy Halladay was like a legitimately bad hitter that made himself respectable and able to get down bunts. Uh, even prior to that, Jamie Moyer had become someone that could do that. So in that stretch, the Phillies just had hitters that could really hit. And as much as I'm pro hitters, no, pitchers no longer hitting, uh, they may get that back to a degree with Zach Wheeler this year. Yeah, let's. I want to talk about that for a second. I know this is our 2012 uh, kind of recap thing, but what do we what do we think of the Phillies' current pitchers in in terms of their hitting? I think I think Wheeler can legit hit, and Velasquez is all right. Nola Nola's had his moments. He he's had moments Nola, where he's got a bunch Nola. of hits, but he it feels like he's not actually a good hitter at all. Yeah, Nola's never hitting a home run. Yeah, remember that one Mets game where he hit a double and they won like one nothing or something? Yeah, I mean, Aaron Nola just absolutely destroyed the Mets that season and has for like a lot of his career. That game, it, there's very few games in baseball where a player like single-handedly wins it, but I think they won that game like 3 nothing, and he had a bases-clearing double and went seven shutout innings like... Uh, 2018 Aaron Nola was just unreal for the summer. Yeah, that was that was a crazy year for sure. Um, I think yeah, I think Wheeler is probably the best hitter on the team. Velasquez, I think Velasquez might be a little overrated as a hitter. Like people have tried to comp him to Michael Lorenzen because he made you know he had that one inning in in left field, um, and he's pretty athletic and everything. He hits mostly singles. He had that. I think he, he has one career homer, right? It was a bomb against, against the Marlins. Yeah, Yo, yeah he was... raked that home run in Miami, yeah. though. That I mean, obviously, that wasn't the the most famous moment of him in Miami, but uh, he did <laughs> that. And Jake Arrieta is probably the best hitter if he's healthy of all That's them. True. Jake Arrieta, I mean, do you remember? Do you remember when Arrieta hit that home run in San Francisco in the playoffs for the Cubs? Yeah, and then the the first season with the Phillies, the yeah. infamous Scott Kingery game, yeah. they scored like one run the entire weekend, and it was Jake Arrieta taking I forget who it, it might have been Bumgarner again, but whoever it was, like it's not like San Francisco is a hitter's park, and something about hitting there, he seems to love it. Um, hmm. anybody else? Do they have any other you know like dark horse? hitters like do you think there's anybody in the bullpen if you think they got a shot they'd be able to hit uh tommy hunter tommy (laughs) (laughs) tommy hunter's got the joe blank i mean i know he's slimmed down this year but if tommy hunter got a hold of one it's going like second deck where that new sweet thing is going in (laughs) love yeah yeah that's that's fair 
that uh, Arietta home round in 2018 was against Derek Rodriguez, who I don't know if I know who that is. So you could have told me that was like someone MLB the Show made up after you like sim a bunch of seasons, and I would have believed you. Yeah, Derek Rodriguez, but yeah, you might be right. Arietta's good hitter. Eflin has a home run, right? Or am I making that up? I think he has one. I was thinking that too. Ben, yeah, Lively, ben Lively used Lively, to rake. Lively was a pretty good hitter. Yeah, he could hit. Um, yeah. But yeah, they pitchers pitchers hitting. It's a weird thing. I enjoy seeing highlights of it, but if the DH came, I would not. I would not be super upset about it. Um, I yeah. really like that proposal, and I don't even know if it's an actual proposal that Jason Stark wrote about, where you have the DH as long as the pitcher stays in. I think. It's not only a compromise. I just like it the best. I don't. I don't know if I like it because then, like, if you have somebody who's a full time DH, like, say you have David Ortiz for most of his career, then what? You have to take him out in the sixth inning or make him play the field. Like, it doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of the DH? No, I don't think so because you're still not having the pitcher bat at all. But it it keeps the strategy of having to decide when you're going to take the pitcher out with what other consequences are going to take place. Mm, I don't know. I need more time to think about it. I don't know if I like it or not. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's... I like a lot of the different ideas. Like, there's the one where um, each game the home, home team decides whether there's a DH or not, and the away team has to hand in two lineups. Um, but I think what's going to happen is it's just going to be universal, regular DH... Nothing's nothing, you know, quirky or different about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, agreed. I mean, no, it's I think that's going to be what happens too. Yeah. It's fine. I I do enjoy watching pitchers hit, but I also understand why. Um, you know, that's where the league is going. Think about um, how different Phillies history would be if the 2017 Phillies had a DH and Charlie Morton didn't have to bat. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, people like to think that, oh, he went to Houston and they just clicked. No, like that first month he was pitching really well and already showing the velocity increases. Obviously, Houston's been great for any pitcher. But if Charlie Morton doesn't get hurt that year, at a minimum, the Phillies are getting a nice return for him at the deadline. Or or they, you know, he's still here or in Philly. You know, they they never they they lock him up and um, keep him. But obviously that did not happen um they had they really had an opportunity to to get him back um and i think all of us are probably a little puzzled as to why um they didn't sign him for that ridiculously low yeah what was it two years 30 million yeah yeah it was ridiculously low i mean i think there is like obviously this front office has not done a tremendous job at signing pitchers and trading for pitchers but there has just been like an element of really bad luck. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, and I th- I think like a lot of people attribute you know, they talk about the Jake Arietta signing as, you know, Matt Clentax's worst worst move, but like I th- I think if we're being real about it that that was more of a John Middleton, you know, I'm going to get this big name I-, I I need you to get this big name guy. Um like do we really think Matt Klintak wanted to give Jake Arrieta three years, $75 million. No, but I think he played it so well because at the beginning of that offseason, 
there was like a John Heyman report that before the Cubs signed Darvish, they called Arietta and said, if he doesn't take this, would you like a similar deal? And he said, thanks, but no thanks. So I think part of the reason it took so long to sign him is they talked him down to three years. Can, can you imagine if they had guaranteed him four or five seasons? Yeah, that'd be yeah, well, so bad. Isn't Darvish six? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. That would be, that would be tough. Um, and yeah, that's the thing. It was only three years, and he's off the books after this season. And I do think there is an element. Part of what happened when the Phillies signed him and Carlos Santana was, yeah, they're trying to improve the team. But there is kind of this like signaling element to the rest of the league that we're back. The re- not that the rebuild is over, but we're moving towards trying to be good again. And the next year, they were able to sign Bryce Harper. There's lots of things that go into that, but I don't think signing Jake Arrieta, who Bryce Harper said at the beginning of this spring training, could still compete for a Cy Young if he was healthy. I don't think that that hurt. Yeah, I'd agree. Definitely. Um, I do have one more moment from 2012 uh, before we wrap things up. This is just a a quick one. Darren Ruff's first career home run. Um, obviously, this was after he was absolutely raking in Double A, and um, you know had one of the had like the best minor league season in Phillies history. Uh, so it was later in the season, hit a home run in the second inning of the game, and then the Phillies in the dugout gave him the silent treatment for five minutes. Which you know, obviously, that's a a, a thing that happens a lot. Teams will give. You know, the player, the silent treatment after their first hit or home run. But I don't know if I've ever seen it go more than a couple minutes other than that one time. It was, it was like five whole minutes of him just standing there waiting to be congratulated. Pretty funny moment. Um, and unfortunately, his career here did not work out as well as, as people had hoped. Yeah, he was, he was such a, he was never a prospect. He was like so old playing in double A. I know he broke the the baseball town record for home runs in a season broke Ryan Howard's uh, Reading Phillies record and people thought he would be the next great Phillies slugger or whatever but he was just so much older than the rest of the minor leagues uh, it was just I mean, the hype was a little bit overblown for what he actually was but have we talked about the spring training Darren Ruff is having with the Giants this season like He's had a really good spring training. I don't know if he'll make the team, but if he does, I am so looking forward to watching Darren Ruff play in the outfield at Oracle Park. <laughs> Is he going to play the outfield? I guess he would have know. to. Um, to make a National League team, you would have to be able to play it, at least in theory. You're not just going to make a team that has Brandon Belt, and maybe that means you won't make the team. But uh, something about Darren Ruff with Gabe Kapler having this massive breakout season would be so funny. Yeah, I mean, he, he was playing. I was checking in a couple box scores um, when he was, you know, on fire, obviously, and he was playing some first base and some outfield. But, um, yeah, that would be pretty crazy to see. He's 33 years old, which is just kind of insane to me. Like, I mean, like Ty said, he was so old when he came up, but that's just, and I guess that was pretty long ago, but still. Yeah, I think about it the other way. Like, I can't believe he's only 33. Really? <laughs> he felt like he was 33 in AA. Yeah, I mean, and then he played three years in the KBO. It wasn't like he was there for right. six months. 
People, yeah, people are calling him Eric Thames 2.0, which... Uh, what what people? <laughs> uh, mostly Giants fans, but, you know. All right, I have one more. I have one more. This isn't a moment, but just something I want to say uh, about the 2012 Phillies. So, of course, they traded Hunter Pence to the Giants, and in return, they got Tommy Joseph who at the time was a catcher. Everybody knows Joseph came and played first base for the Phillies for a while. If Tommy Joseph, this is a take that Johnny has stolen from me and put on the timeline because <laughs> uh, he's a thief. If Tommy Joseph yeah. could have stuck a catcher, he would have had legitimate value and been kind of a Gary Sanchez light, uh, uh, you know, a catcher who was not great behind the plate but does have some, some legit pop. So, you know, I'm not saying he'd be as good as Gary Sanchez is, but he'd he'd be a similar player type, and he'd have some value if he could have stayed a catcher. The concussions got... Yeah, you had me insult Gary Sanchez. Like, <laughs> there would have been value. He'd still be in the league in some form, but no. I mean, maybe he would have been a starter, but I, I do remember at first base, like, because it was such a stark contrast from Ryan Howard, whose worst attribute as a player was throwing to second base. Tommy Joseph had this incredible arm, and it's like, wow, what a waste. They tried him in the outfield at one point in spring training. It didn't work. but <laughs> They tried everyone in the outfield at one <laughs> point in spring it, training. It, <laughs> well, because those were like the years that like Cedric Hunter was starting on opening day, so they, they really had nothing to lose. But, uh, yeah, I mean, had he been able to stay as a catcher, uh, things may have been different. I also want to give a shout-out to Brian Schneider, who is – an alum of my high school, Northampton High School, which I went to high school famously right next to Saquon Barkley across a bridge. There's not anyone famous like Saquon Barkley at my high school, but there are people like Brian Schneider. Hey, you did uh, outscore Saquon Barkley at a track meet. I people wasn't even going to mention it because everybody knows it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too well known at this point. Why even bother, Johnny? Come on. <laughs> I was thinking about changing my Twitter bio soon. It's just like I, I need something fresh. Yeah, I, now that everybody knows, you know, why why keep it around? Uh, <laughs> Every time the the game where he the week 16 or whatever that was against the Eagles last year, where he did that like waving goodbye celebration, which, by the way, was awesome. Like three different people tweeted at me at that, and I'm like, "Am I really this? Like, I'm the first person you think of about Saquon Barkley?" <laughs> That's funny. Um, any other any other 2012 related moments or things you guys want to say before we wrap this up? Uh, they won seven straight games, and then went into Houston against the worst team in baseball and lost three of four and killed any momentum they had, and that was just probably the one thing i really really remember about that team um, i have one other thing that probably is in, of interest to no one but i always thought it was funny michael schwimmer was on that team famously check out his real estate uh company now but uh one of my friends said the phillies should build an out a pool in the outfield like the diamondbacks have and call it the swimming pool and that has always stuck with me whatever happened to you know those those fan like cult not cult but you know like coast ghost and all those like the wolf pack when's the last time we've we've had any 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 of those at citizens bank park doc's doc's patients were were around for a good bit that was lame <laughs> they sure they're all lame 
No, a- do not talk shit about the wolf pack. <laughs> I guess. That there you go. That's a good point. I think the wolf pack just set the bar so high after that it was like why why even try? Yeah, good point. That's fair. Didn't wait. Yeah, never mind. There was a Howard's Homers where they wore Homer Simpson costume or like masks. <laughs> yeah, in two thousand six when he hit three homers in that one game yeah. to get to like fifty something, I remember they, they cut to those to those guys on the Homer masks. Oh <laughs> uh, that's great. Alright, I got uh, nothing else. Yeah. I'm, How were I'm... these like different fan things always at every single game, just like wait waiting for this to happen? That we need an investigation about that. I'm. We'll do some investigative reporting. We got. We got to find them. We, we got do, plenty we, of time. I was gonna say we do have kind of some time where we need to, you know, find some old content and make it new content. So for sure. Yeah. Any any last thoughts from from either of you guys on the 2012 team? Nope. I'm good. I, I feel like we we've given way too many thoughts about the 2012 Phillies. I I would have to agree there. So um, thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks again, Tim, for uh, for coming on. Um, we we really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, to everyone listening, stay tuned for some more Phillies rebuild talk over the next few weeks. Um, yeah, until next week. You can listen to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller every Wednesday on philliesnation.com and all streaming services.